Good morning once again. Hope everybody's doing well this morning. Uh, if you were able to be at the Swingham's residence yesterday, you know that there was plenty of barbecue and fun to be had together. And we appreciate that. My barbecue pressure is a little high today, but that's okay. Last week, we looked at chapter 5 in Matthew, as we have been for several weeks. And we looked at uh, verse 27 to 30. And in doing so, we kind of put that together with the previous message about uh, what Jesus taught about murder and uh, hating someone being one and the same. And we looked at the idea that Jesus is presenting as a matter of the heart more than the matter of action behind the uh, heart. If we just take everything on a surface level, uh, and when we're reading Jesus' teaching, we're probably going to miss a great deal of what he's pointing out for us to know. We talked about adultery last week. And it certainly applies to our personal relationships with one another in marriage, right? And we discussed how it's much more deeper than that when it comes to the kingdom of God because the wisdom of, uh, uh, that Jesus is sharing from the mountainside is that this is what the kingdom of God is like. And that's what all of chapter 5 has been about and will continue to be about. And when he's talking about adultery and how does that relate to the kingdom of God, we can understand that our relationship with God, Jesus being the groom and the body of Christ being the bride, is a relationship that we would know as the marriage relationship. And I, and I have a tendency to want to say that our relationship with Jesus is very much like that of marriage. However, it's just the opposite of that. Our relationship in our marriages, our, our spousal, spousal relationship, husband and wife, is, is to be like our relationship with Jesus. That's the example that we're to follow. And we talked about how when we stray from our commitment to Christ, when we sin, it is an act of spiritual adultery. And we should uh, pray that the Lord would lead us away from that and that we would have the strength and the courage and the desire to not be guilty of such a thing. So then we go to verse 31 this morning, and we'll go all the way to verse 37. First, let me share this with you, since we're talking about marriage this morning. We've been talking about marriage. We've been talking about this type of relationship, right? Not necessarily about husbands and wives, but more so the relationship we have with God. And last, last week I pointed out the till death do us part portion of the marriage ceremony, right? Well, there's this uh, story that goes that there, uh, uh, there was an empty seat at a Super Bowl and uh, there was a diehard fan sitting there next to this empty seat and all of the fans around him were tapping him on the shoulder and say, hey, what's up with this empty seat? Who could miss the Super Bowl? And he said, well, that was my wife's seat, but she passed away. And everybody kind of sat back and like, oh, well, we're sorry to hear that. 
But we can't imagine that not even one of your relatives would have jumped at the opportunity to come to the game with you, the Super Bowl. He said, yeah, I was thinking the same thing too, but they decided to go to the funeral instead. <laughs> talking about priorities here, y'all. <laughs> talking about what's in the heart, right? I'm, I'm hoping that's not a true story. <laughs> Now keep that in your mind because hopefully if I can do it right in the end, we'll come, we'll have, I'll share another story with you that's going to give us a full picture, hopefully, maybe. So pray about that while I'm preaching. <laughs> Let's look at our scripture this morning. In verse 31, it says, it has been said, Jesus is teaching, still teaching. It's not a new teaching. It's the continuation of what we've been studying. He says, it has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a, cert a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries uh, the divorced woman uh, commits adultery. And let me stop there. And just briefly discuss that a little bit, because you can pick and choose what you want to hear out of that if you want to. I don't suggest that that's the way you read the Bible, but that's what people do. And maybe even sometimes we're all guilty of that from time to time. But it says, it has been said, verse 31, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. He's quoting scripture that they know. He's constantly telling the people something that they already know. Right? And if I thought it was that easy to teach people, I would have been teaching people a long, long time ago. Just go tell people what they already know. But there's a little bit more to it than that, right? You've got to bring that knowledge into a, what, a new understanding. And that's what this entire teaching is all about that Jesus is sharing on the mountainside. He's saying, here's what you know, but here's what you don't understand about what you know. Every time we go through the, the Sermon on the Mount, this is what we need to keep in our mind. Well, okay, well, what don't I know about what I know? Verse 32 says, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress. He had just finished speaking about adultery, adultery previously. It's what we talked about last week. He was talking pr prior to that about murder. Right? And anyone, when people stand before uh, the preacher or the judge, but when people stand before the preacher in God and say, I take this person to be my spouse because I love this person with all of my heart and I will spend the rest of my life with this person. That's what I want to do. Right? We talked about in sickness and health until death do us part, heart, richer or poor, and all that stuff. But when they go and file for the divorce, it can't be none of that, can it? It certainly cannot be any of that. Something has happened between the marriage and the divorce. There was love, and for some reason or another, then there's not love. Or maybe there was never love to start with. Circumstances are always different, aren't they? So what can we learn without just being surface level studying about this teaching that Jesus is teaching because I could preach a sermon about how God doesn't like divorce and that the divorce rate is ridiculously high even among the church in our culture today and we need to repent. I could preach that sermon 
But that's not what we're looking for today. We're looking for what is Jesus really trying to show us about the kingdom of God. Right? Say amen if that's what you want to know. <laughs> all right. Just make sure you're all here. I know we had a long night of barbecuing and all that good stuff. But here we are in the word of God. So we think about our relationship with God. When we say yes to Jesus as our Lord, when we say yes, I believe that God has provided a way to be reconciled to him. When we say that we read this Bible and we see that there is this person named Jesus, we call him Jesus, and he's come into the world and he was perfect in the flesh God and came to be the sacrifice so I can have this relationship with God, this perfect, beautiful relationship with God like no other relationship in the existence of man. All I have to do is commit myself to that. Remember Jesus being the groom, right? And it's always the groom. Well, these, this, our culture today might be different, but genuinely the tradition is the groom would get down on one knee and say, will you marry me to the girl of his dreams? Sometimes more than once. We'll get into that another day. Ask my wife what I'm talking about. So it's like when Jesus goes to the cross, when God sends Jesus to go to the cross, he sends the groom to get down on one knee in front of the bride and say, will you marry me? Will you be my bride? You ever put it together like that? You ever thought about it in that way? When Jesus goes to the cross, when Jesus comes into the world and says, this is what I have to offer you. It's the kingdom of God. And here's what it's like. And then finally, he goes to the cross and he's on his knee. And, and what we read in, 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 in Matthew chapter five, verse three to 11, the Beatitudes, you know, the, the, the poor in spirit, those who mourn when we're cut to the heart and we're convicted. We suddenly realize the one that we don't deserve, the one that uh, doesn't have to love us, the one who've we, who, who've, whom we've offended so badly, the one whom, whom we've uh, stepped out on over and over again, his, on his knee saying he loves us and wants us to be with him forever. That's why Jesus is talking about divorce here. Right? It's a, it's a lot deeper, isn't it, than what we first think when we read over it. When he's talking about uh, commitment, that's what marriage is. When, when, when I asked my wife, will you marry me? I didn't, I, it wasn't just, will you stay with me for until we get tired of each other and then we'll go about our separate ways. It's, I want to spend the rest of my life with her. Right? And then the question is, because that's not enough. The question is, do, does she want to spend the rest of her life with me? Probably why she had to think about it for a while. <laughs> Praise the Lord, she said yes. And here we are. Right? Jesus wants you to spend the rest of his life with him. The rest of your life with him. Eternity. Forever. Never ending. Right? Divorce is an ending. Divorce is a termination. Divorce is what happened when Adam and Eve said, that looks like a delicious apple. And they terminated the relationship they had with God. 
The good news is, is God says, I'm not giving you the divorce. Isn't that great? You're not getting a divorce. Matter of fact, we're going to work this out. I'll tell you what's even better. I'm going to work it out. That's what he's talking about. In the, in the Jewish uh, culture in those days, marriage was about uh, husband. men would take a wife because they believed that when God said to be fruitful and multiply, that's what he wanted uh, people to do. And I believe the same thing, except for their idea of marriage and taking a wife was more out of duty than it was out of the love that they would have for that wife. It was a responsibility they had to be obedient to God. It doesn't mean they didn't love their wife. It was just more about the responsibility. In fact, if you didn't take a wife and have children, you were kind of sinning, really. You're not following the Lord's command. That's, what they, that's the way they were living. And then you had the Greeks. <laughs> the Greeks. Now, listen, to, the Greeks will take a wife for the purpose of having kids and taking care of the home. And they had freedom to go into the world and have plenty of other kind of relationships. That was their understanding of marriage. Right? Doesn't have anything to do with whether or not they loved that wife or not. It was common practice and accepted practice that this is the way it was. In fact, the wives in the Greek community, they were to stay home and just pretty much not be a part of, of society. They weren't part of the social realm. They were at home being a wife. There were other women that were taking care of other things for the men. And then you got the Romans. The Romans, they took the family unit as something to be uh, proud of. It was something to be set up as here, we're doing this and this is who we are. And the wife was taken and was there for... Uh, creating families and therefore being the wife and, and making a home and she was very much a part of the social life of the husband and the family in fact for, for, for a long time there was absolutely no divorce in the Roman community until they conquered the Greeks and they started interacting with the Greeks and then suddenly they start getting divorced and their ideas of the wedding uh, the, the, the marriage relationship started to, to change and started to be contaminated by the Greeks the point is, all three of these views of Jesus' day, all three of these uh, perspectives on the marriage relationship had the same problem. All three of them were, were surface level and only served the purpose for living in this world. Right? They had no concept of love being the number one motivation for that kind of relationship. It wasn't even, it wasn't a priority. It was there, but in some cases, but it wasn't the priority. And Jesus is pointing out that in the kingdom of God, divorce isn't, a, isn't part of the relationship. So why does it say, why does he say, except for marital unfaithfulness, can uh, divorce happen? Because God doesn't force his love on us. And he will not force us to be with him. He's offered us eternity with him. He's offered us eternal life. He's offered us to be his. Should we choose to be, to be his. 
But at any moment, we can reject God. At any moment, we can say, I don't believe this is true, or I don't need God. Forget this. I'm out. Because we have the free will to do so. And because God's love is genuine and real, it will never be forced upon you. Because forced love is not love. Right? So let me get into verse 33. He says again, meaning, let me just give you this illustration to go with that illustration. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is uh, the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Now, if we take the chapters and the verses and all of the titles out of our Bible for all the paragraphs, this would all be one teaching. So then you would have to say, well, okay, he was talking about divorce and now he's talking about swearing. Well, in, in the surface level uh, knowledge of marriage, you know, every time somebody gets married, all the other pe married people are like, why are you doing that? <laughs> no, they do that all the time. And, and even the people that are happily married are like, what? You're going to get me. Don't be, don't be messing stuff up. Why do we do that? Marriage is a great thing. I can't even imagine being by myself in this world. Right? I can't. I can't even imagine. It. What's worse is being, is being with someone that I can't live with in marriage, which is bad. There's a lot of people living in that situation. They just don't like the people they're married to. People that are, people, the joke is that people that are married struggle with swearing the most. <laughs> That's not why Jesus is talking about this. That's not why Jesus is talking about this. In Jesus' day, for the Jews, truth was a prominent, it was something that was held up here way high, way up in the uh, realm of what we strive for. We strive for truth. We strive for uh, integrity, right? The people of God. It's the highest mark. This person is an honest person. This person lives in the truth. This person has integrity and honor because of truth. Okay, that's, what, that's where the, what the focus was on. So much so that they would have uh, ways of making verbal agreements, contracts, and they would uh, swear that it was going to happen, basically. And there's two different types. <laughs> there was frivolous swearing, and then there was evasive swearing. And it was understood that if someone swore by the, any name of God, any any part of any way that someone refer to God, then that would mean they would interpret that to say that they're, that person who said that in this agreement is inviting God into the agreement. And therefore, if they failed at the agreement, then they would have to answer to God. That's the way they understood each other. That's the way things were done. And the evasive swearing was not doing that, right? 
And they would either swear by heaven or they would swear by the earth or they would swear by Jerusalem, right? Thinking that by doing it that way, by making the agreement that way, they're not inviting God in. And if they, for some reason or another, failed, they, wouldn't, they would still have to answer to one another but not to God. That's the basics of how it works. It's a lot more intricate than that, but that's what I, I'll be here all day if I go into the details of it, right? So what they're doing is they're trying to get other people to trust them when they're talking to each other. I'm going to do this job for you, and you're going to pay me with three lamb. And I'm going to do it, and I swear by whatever, Right? And this is what Jesus is saying. He's like, he says, uh, you've heard that it was said to uh, the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep uh, the oaths you have made to the Lord. This is all. He's still quoting scripture. He's still telling them what they already know. And he says, but I tell you, do not swear at all. You say you're going to do something, just go do it. Right? If you have a need to back up what your word says, then you're probably not trustworthy. That's what he's saying. Right? That's why I love the wedding vows. The best part of the wedding vow, or really the best part of the whole ceremony, is when the preacher says, do you? And whoever answers the question says, I do. It's two words, I do. And the rest of their marriage is evidence of whether or not that's true. Right? I think it was one time I asked that question. I was marrying a couple and... And it was like a long pause. I was like, say something, man. <laughs> it was kind of awkward. He also says, do not swear at all. He says, either by heaven or, or for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is the footstool, or, 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 or his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And then he goes on and says, don't even swear by your own head, for you cannot even make a hair white or black. can't change anything i mean you, you can go to the drugstore and you can but god knows what color your hair is right it's not sinful to color your hair but just know that god knows that's the whole point of what jesus is trying to make here right this is what god is saying god is saying jesus is saying the kingdom of god is like this whatever you say and whatever you do whatever you're about God is already involved in it. There is no need for you to think that you have to invite him into it because he's in it. Because this is his kingdom. This is his world. This is his creation. And you live in his creation. So for us to believe that by swearing one way or another, we're inviting God in or keeping God out, we're only fooling ourselves. Right? And we will always answer to God for whether or not we are keeping our word at all times. So there is no need for an oath. There's no need for us to swear by anything because nothing belongs to us to start with. And they understood that they were trying to manipulate the situations and they were trying to wheel and deal, right? Because if you don't swear by God, then you can like break the oath and then, you, then all you got is this guy over here mad at you. But if you swear by God, then you're going to have to handle it because God's going to deal with you. No, God's going to deal with you about all of that stuff. 
God's going to deal with you because your yes me either means yes or it means no. Or it means maybe. And the only thing that honors God for the Christian is that your yes be yes. When you say or do, it matches who you are and what Jesus died for. Which takes us all the way back to the murder and the adultery and the divorce. Right? Because it comes, this is why we said that our relationship with God directly affects our relationship with each other. And our relationship with each other directly affects our relationship with God. Because if I say that Jesus is my God, if he's my Lord, my Savior, and I've surrendered myself to him, I'm not the way I used to be. I'm not the sinner that I used to be. And I'm living for God now, and my actions don't match what I'm saying, then my yes is no, and my no is yes. And I can't be trusted. Right? So this is what Jesus is talking about. He's, he's bringing it all together, and he's trying to say that every part of who you are needs to stand in Christ and only in Christ. And if that's the case, then you will not have to call on anything else in this world to back up who you are and what you say. And people who aren't even believers will see that person of integrity. People won't ever question. There used to be a time in this in this country where a man's word was gold. People would trust a man's word or, or a lady's word. People who were honest. And they knew who was trustworthy and not trustworthy by their actions matching their words or not. There wasn't, there wasn't a whole bunch of need for contracts and lawyers and courthouses. Because people did what they said they were going to do. Or they didn't say anything at all. Right? See, here's the bottom line. The words that come out of our mouth are a product or a byproduct of what's in our heart. And if we're honestly married to our savior and he's in us and we're in him then all we need say is yes i will do this or yes we can go there or no i'm not doing that or no we don't want to go there right when we go into this world to make disciples when our church congregates and decides what the lord is having us do we always say if it's the Lord's will, then yes. Right? If it's the Lord's will, then maybe we'll do that. Yeah, let's do that. But we're not going to say, we're going we're gonna to go and do whatever we're going to do, and we're going to swear by God. Right? We don't need to back up who we are in Christ with words. Because if we do, if we feel that we need to do that, it's ob it's, to me it's an obvious uh indication that our faith in who God is and who we are in Christ is kind of slack a little bit. Why would, I, why would I need to pull on some other strength when I have everything I need? If I'm standing firm in who I am and what Jesus says to do, if I'm, if I'm standing in my faith in Christ and if I'm trusting in God's forgiveness so that I can be a, a person who's saved by grace, and go into the world and make disciples. If I'm, if I'm faithful to that and truly believe that. Then there's no need for me to call on anything else. To make sure that people understand that. Just be. Just be. 
Don't leave Jesus, right? And there's no need to call on anyone else but him. There's no need for oaths. Now, we live in a world where, it's, you know, people might take, this is sometimes where people, and we'll finish up with this, this is sometimes where people think that, okay, what well, does that mean that when, if we're in a courtroom and we have to give testimony that we shouldn't swear, that we'll tell the truth and the whole truth and nothing but the truth? Well, if we want to be, uh, if we want to take things out of context, we'll be legalistic about it, then I guess we would have to say yes. But Jesus is also pointing out, because there are needs for oaths in the world, is, because, is evidence that man has fallen, that man can't be trusted. Because we don't always do what we're supposed to do. We don't always stay true to our Savior. We don't always stand firm in what we say we believe. So with one another, we, we sometimes need to put some safeguards around. And even then, it doesn't force us to do right, does it? He's not saying it's right. He's not saying that it even pleases him. He's saying that it's there because it's evidence that there's a problem. That's why I'm here. That's what Jesus said. That's what I'm, I'm here to fix all that. They, they made the mistake of trying to, their understanding was that they can use God as some leverage or use God as reassurance to other people that they can be trusted. When Jesus is saying, just be in Christ, just live like you're married to me and everybody will know you can be trusted. And you won't need to do the things that you feel like you need to do. I'll give you this story and then we'll have an invitation. I'm just going to read it because I want to make sure I get it just right. There's an old story that illustrates the principle of honor within marriage. A drunkard husband spending the evening with his jovial companions at a tavern boasted that if he took a group of his friends home with him at midnight and asked his Christian wife to get up and cook supper for them, she would do it without complaint. Now, let me finish the story before you start booing. <laughs> the crowd considered it in vain, uh, a vain boast, and dared him to try it. So the drunken crowd followed him home, and he made the unreasonable demands of his wife. She obeyed, dressed, came down, and prepared a very nice supper, and served it as cheerfully as if she had been expecting them. After supper, one of the men asked, uh, had asked of her how she could be so kind when they had been so unreasonable and when she did not approve of their conduct. And her, her reply was, Sir, when my husband and I were married, we were both sinners. It has pleased God to call me out of that dangerous condition. My husband continues in it. I tremble for his future state. Were he to, were he to die as he is, he would be miserable forever. I think it my duty to render his, presence, his present existence as comfortable as possible. Not long after her husband was saved. See, that's a, a complete contrast to the first silly story that I shared about a couple who had been married and one had passed and the other one seemed to not really care too much, right? But here's a, here's a woman, when she said, I do, till death do us part, she did everything she could do to love him to the point where she was so concerned about his eternal life. She loved him so much that she would put herself through that kind of humiliation because she didn't want him to suffer eternally. 
You see, it applies to our relationships with one another greatly. But if our relationship and our marriage with Christ isn't healthy, we will always suffer in our relationships with one another. When the married couple goes into the public and they're living their life together, I, I, I call that the Christian married couple, I call that a power couple. It's not what the world says a power couple is. The world says a power couple is those who are like really beautiful according to the world and have a lot of money and have all the nice stuff and they're very influential and they set trends and they tell everybody in the world what to wear because they're cool. That's not a power couple. I don't care what the world says. A power couple are two people who love each other and love Jesus together. And the presence of God makes an impact in the world because of it. And they love each other with no end to it. Because Jesus loves them with no end. That's a power couple. And I pray that every couple in this room would experience that. Because divorce is not an option from God. And if divorce is not an option from God, it will not be an option in our relationships with one another. Adultery is not an option. If it's not an option in our relationship with God, it won't be an option in our relationship with one another. Hatred will not exist in those marriages because love wins over all. Isn't that great? This is what Jesus is talking about. This is what the kingdom of God is like. I want that for me and I want it for you. I want it for the ones who aren't here. They're out there doing whatever it is they're doing today, right? They may not even be doing sinful things today, but they're, they're, they're not thinking about their relationship with God. They're not even understanding that there is a relationship. Jesus says, will you marry me? And they're paying attention to something else. Whatever it is. There are people in this world who are not saved. There are people in this world who are on the edge of being saved. There are people in this world that Je they know that Jesus has asked them to be his. They know all about it and they're convicted about it, but they haven't said yes or no. I've seen people, I've seen, I've seen guys on their knee and ask the woman, will you marry me? And the woman gets so excited she forgets the answer. And there's people right there spiritually. That's why we need to be in the world, letting our yes be yes and our no be no, so that people will see the genuine kingdom of God. And if you're not there, if you're not saved, all you got to do is stand up here and say it. If you believe that Jesus is Christ, just say it. The Bible tells us to be baptized for the forgiveness of our sins. It's a wedding ceremony. And after that, we spend our eternal life living for Jesus. In Jesus. For the kingdom of God. Isn't that great? You want to sing? Let's stand together and sing. And sing like we're saved. If we're not saved, I don't know why you're waiting. I really don't. I urge you to come forward. Let's sing.